Welcome into the show. It is yours truly coming to you live from the Dreamaginate Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast. This is your 6 a.m. West Coast wake-up call in all time zones in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in this Wednesday morning, May the 29th. We'll be joined here in just a few moments by John Pronich, the host of the 343 Podcast. Uh, look forward to having a, a good chat with him about all kinds of things, his his coaching philosophy, being a referee, etc. Um, I'm sure we'll get into a, a bunch of to- different topics, but uh, we, we will get to that after the break coming up in just a few minutes. Today is the Europa League final. It kicks off at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, on the line is a spot in the Champions League. However, Chelsea has already clinched their spot by finishing third in the league. So really, this prize is is of even more significance for Arsenal. Uh, If they don't win, they are not playing Champions League uh, football next year. So I expect Arsenal to, to, to definitely... You know, both teams are going to want the title for sure, but I definitely think there's a little bit of extra there for Arsenal in terms of motivation as a club wanting to to win this match to get access to the Champions League next year. And there are a lot of storylines um, in, in looking at this. This this appears to be um, uh, Hazard's last match. It also appears to be um, Petr Cech's last match ever. So Hazard's last match with uh, Chelsea as he's rumored to be leaving for Real Madrid. Uh, Petr Cech looking at, at leave, uh, leaving football altogether as a player, retiring and entering the front office of Chelsea, ironically, after this match. Um, you know, there's some injuries. It looks like Chelsea shorthanded in midfield. So what does that do uh, to the game um, and there's some injuries also on on the Arsenal side. So neither team is coming in full strength for sure. Um, and and it will be interesting to see the the clash uh, that happens and, and and how this game plays out. Also, you have for Arsenal uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan who is not making the trip, and uh, the reason for that is the the political um, and military conflict that uh, is still uh, ongoing between um, Azerbaijan and Armenia and uh, Mkhitaryan being Armenian um, he he didn't feel like 
the country could ensure his safety, so he did not come. And uh, there's a lot of political unrest. And, and, and so that's a that's a sad state of affairs for UEFA. Uh, you've got to you've got to pick locations and spots where the players can be safe and play. And it, it's, um, you know, having having a player for Arsenal unable to make the trip due to safety concerns is an issue, and it's an issue that needs to be resolved, especially going forward. And and one of the things about this match is, you know, both of these clubs are London based. They're only about ten miles apart, and um, and and so, you know, when we look at soccer in America, and we look at you know soccer around the world, football around the world, um, sometimes we talk territories, and we talk about you know different aspects of of you know. Well, you've got a team. It's it's only a couple hours away, or you've got a team and it's four hours away. That's that's your MLS team, etc. These teams are ten miles apart. Whenever you, whenever you hear that argument about you need more distance, you need more time, you need more. Just remember that the champ, the the UA, the U, U, Europa League. If I can get my tongue to work this morning. Uh, the Europa League final, these two clubs are 10 miles apart. It is going to be a clash. It is going to be, you know, a match uh, for pride. It's a, a match, obviously, a, as I stated a, a few moments ago, for Champions League place uh, next year. But when we think about these clubs and you look at a city like London, you look at Madrid, and you've got Madrid and Atletico Madrid, and you've got other clubs in the Madrid uh, area that are all, you know, a part of La Liga. When when you think about America, we we always think like, well, we've got to put a team in Los Angeles, and then we need to jump all the way over here to Phoenix, put another team, etc. I'm not advocating that we should have a first division and all of the teams are in New York or all of the teams are in Southern California or L.A. proper. But what I am saying is, is this notion that we feel like we've got to protect clubs. And I've heard this from lower division teams. I've heard it from from professional clubs in America that they they need boundaries. They need territories that that ensures their business, et cetera, et cetera. If I go and start a restaurant and doesn't matter what type it is, I go and start a restaurant. Um, I may have a boundary so that if it's if it's a franchise of another restaurant, another franchi- franchisee can't come and plop down. You know, if I have a McDonald's, they can't come and plop down a McDonald's right next to me. Okay, fair enough. That's one company. If I go and start my own restaurant and it's not a franchise and McDonald's, Burger King, or Joe Bob wants to come along and and put his own restaurant right next door, it's America. They can do that. And you have to compete and you have to be better than them. You have to have quality and excellence. You have to do your business and do it well. We have to have that mentality in American soccer. It's the mentality embraced around the world that you you have to be good at what you do. You have to be better than those that you are competing with if you want to survive, if you want to thrive. 
So this idea that we need territories in American soccer to me is just laughable. And and you know it's easy to to point fingers at MLS and USL and say you know franchise territories and this that and the other and 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 these are the big boys. But I'm I'm also talking about amateur clubs. I've heard this over and over again how amateur clubs want protection. They 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 want to be in a league and not have you know, a team pop up right next to them. And my argument always is do what you do, do it better. And at the same time, also understand the advantages of having proximity. When you have proximity to to your teammate, to the teams that you're going to play against, and, and, and some of them are going to develop into rivals, natural rivals because of proximity. Fans are going to be able to travel easier to matches, both home and away. You're going to draw bigger crowds. The passion level is going to rise. When you look at teams with close proximity, those matches seem to matter more. The passion level's higher. The attendance is higher. It, it means more revenue. So when you, when you think you're helping yourself by keeping teams away, what you really need to think about is how do we do what we do and how can we do it better? How can we beat them? You know, I, I, I look at leagues across this country and and the games that, whether they are um, first, second, third division, professional sanction leagues, or they are amateur leagues, the games where there is some proximity, where there's the ability for, for fans to not only travel to the matches, but feel that local rivalry those matches seem to be more well attended. They uh, seem to, to have more passion in the stands. We should have open competition, and it should be open not only just where your club is located. We should have open competition in what level that you play at, you know, in terms of sporting merit. It should be based on, you know, on-field results, period. And and we shouldn't get away from that. That's what we should do, period. And, and you know, this idea that, that proximity is a bad thing um, is, is one of those upside-down backwards philosophies of American sports that, that we shouldn't have. And, and I get it. We're a massive country. I totally understand the geography of this country and, and all of that. But I think there are ways to, to work around that and to work with that and and not get away from the spirit of competition. Atlanta United would be better if Atlanta United had at least one other club in Atlanta pushing it to be better. Um, and, and I would give the same story to clubs all over the country. When you look at the two L.A. franchises in Major League Soccer, LAFC and L.A. Galaxy are, are going to be better in the long run for the fact that they both are in LA, the proximity effect. Um, and having that opportunity to build a club at any level and, and take it to the top would unleash massive amounts of potential. People are worried about limited resources, but I actually think it's going to multiply resources exponentially. And, and as we see that multiplication take place, we're going to see, you know, incredible clubs um, rise. And when they get to the top, when they get there, they will have earned it. They will have earned it off the field in the way that they are run. They will earn it 
on the field in the way that they have played, the results they've earned on the field. When we're in that setup and a team finishes top of the first division, it's going to mean something. Right now, doesn't mean a lot. But then it will mean a whole lot. Just like today when Arsenal and Chelsea square off against each other, it's going to mean a lot. These two clubs, 10 miles apart in London, Premier League rivals, this game's going to matter. And it, even though it might be 6,000 miles away from London, it's still going to matter. These two teams are going to go at it. They're going to compete. They're going to want that prize. And it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But regardless, these two teams have earned this spot on the field to to play in this final. And for all the other storylines about Hazard and Jack and others, this idea of proximity is a big part of their stories. The fact that you have an Arsenal, you have Chelsea, you have three clubs from London, Tottenham as well, who's in the, the Champions League final. Three clubs that are in London who are competing for championships in in Europe. It, it's 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 incredible. And so when we look at American soccer and think, oh, we can't get too close or we need more space, the more we spread out, the more that we are keeping uh, a damper on our potential. The more that we we only allow certain places to turn the lights on, the more we are keeping ourselves from realizing our potential. The more that we keep access away from anyone, anywhere, the less chance we have of realizing our potential. There are, are great players all over this country. Some will never get an opportunity just circumstance chance maybe it's socioeconomics whatever the case will not get the chance and that's a sad sad state of affairs and it's it's a sad statement to say about american soccer but that's that is the fault the the fault you know lies squarely at the feet of the u.s soccer federation they have been unwilling to do their job and embrace FIFA compliance, they don't operate by the rules that every other country around the world does. They've given excuses as, as to why they don't or why they can't. And time and time again, they've been shown to be nothing but excuses. For years, we've heard that that U.S. soccer cannot comply with solidarity payments and training compensation due to child labor laws. And yet, now that Major League Soccer is realizing their kids are leaving for free and not getting compensated, they're going to institute solidarity payments and training compensation. Wait, I thought that was illegal. It never was illegal. Neither is sporting merit. Promotion and relegation is not illegal. For all the people who have said that, you know, you can't, you can't uh, change the rules after the fact on these owners who bought into one system, they should have read the rules that were already in place. The rules weren't changed. U.S. soccer has been breaking them for over 20 years not enforcing fifa's rules that's that is not the 
that is not changing the rules. That is actually enforcing the rules on the books that were already there. Yet again, another excuse given to give Major League Soccer the opportunity to do whatever they want to do and not have every other club, every other league in this country, as well as Major League Soccer, comply with FIFA rules. Nothing but excuses. So when we look at at, at, at what's going on in American soccer and we look at what's going on today at 3 p.m. Eastern with Chelsea and Arsenal lining up for the UEFA Europa League final, just remember, everything you're seeing on TV today could be part of American soccer and the American soccer story if we ever embrace open competition. Thanks for joining the show today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, really excited to have uh, John Pronich joining us here in just a minute uh, right after this break. But before um, we get to John, I just want to tell you that the sponsor for today's show is Charity Water. Charity Water provides clean drinking water to people all over this country. Excuse me. All over the world. And they are changing villages one person at a time by delivering that clean drinking water. And you should check out their story. Check out their work at charitywater.org. Give if you can give. Help them out. Um, you will change a life and be a part of a, of a really, really cool organization. So check them out at charitywater.org. We will be right back after this with John Pronich. Welcome back to the show. We are really excited to have joining us 
John Pronich, the host of the 343 Podcast. John, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on this morning. Hey, thank you, Daniel. It's uh, nice to be up with you. So, um, <laughs> it's... Uh, it's summertime, or it's coming into summertime, end of the main competitions in Europe. We have the Europa League final finishing up today. Saturday, we have the Champions League final. Um, kind of, you know, what what are you what are you looking at today? What are you looking at Saturday in terms of those two matchups? Well, uh, honestly, I haven't I haven't given much thought to the Europa League game uh just because there's been so much action with the u20s i've been watching a lot of that um but the uh the champions league game i'm, I'm trying to try my best to plan my day around that one and, and i'm honestly uh i'm super excited about it i think uh i think both coaches are, are being of being at that stage and being at that level they have a super interesting um path to where to where they've gotten today and, and to how they've gotten their teams to where to you know to that stage and if I'm being completely honest, I'm super jealous that, they, that they've you know been able to to take that trajectory and and to have those opportunities to climb to climb the ladder like they've climbed with their teams. And it's cool to have two kind of different teams in the in the Champions League final this year. It's not like the usual suspects that, that people start out every year saying like, oh yeah, these you know it's going to be Barcelona, it's going to be Real Madrid, it's going to be Manchester United. So. It's cool to just get new new life in there again, which is just you know a testament to I think the the way that you know global football really is, and I'm, uh, it excites me. That 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 part of it is what really excites me is that anything can really happen, which is cool. Totally. Although um, I am I am a Barcelona fan first and foremost, uh, and and um, I have on my Barcelona hat and, and shirt as I'm doing this interview, so. <laughs> Um, it hurts my heart that uh, the the collapse at uh, at Anfield. Although Liverpool is my second you know favorite team to to watch and to pull for, so I I am gonna you know get over the hurt of losing uh, and and pull for them as they take on Tottenham. Um, you know, in in, all, in both of the the Euro- Europa League and the Champions League finals. Um, you do have really in kind of all uh, in, in four teams four kind of all do it their own way a little bit. They're not like, there's not like a, a, an exact clone or copy like, Hey, this team looks just like this other one. They all have kind of their own little things. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, curious to see how that plays out. And um, you know, and, and there's been a lot of drama and turmoil surrounding Chelsea and uh, you know Arsenal's had their ups and their downs, um, so I think that matchup today will be interesting. And then Saturday, obviously, um, you know that's the big one. And you know I'm hoping, hoping for a good day. And and uh, the main thing I'm hoping for Liverpool is that they don't get any you know injuries to to key players early on, like last year. That the beginning of that game last year, I think people forget because of the final score and obviously Carius was ridiculously awful in goal for for Liverpool that day but um before Salah went out Liverpool were taking it to 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 Real Madrid I mean they were controlling the game a lot of the possession very dangerous in attacks and then you know Ramos uh and and Salah get 
uh, tangled up and Salah's out. And then after that, it, it looked like Liverpool never could recover. And then, you know, we saw Karius. So I'm hoping, you know, for health. That's what I'm rooting for because I, I want to see these two guys, uh, these two teams go at it on uh, Saturday. They both proved in the semifinals that they had the mental strength and the mental fortitude to, you know, not allow adversity to, you know, keep them from, you know, reaching uh, their goals. They, they, you know, they both worked to come back from big odds and uh, and reach the finals. So I'm looking for a good matchup there. So, so I, I want to get in with you and, and kind of talk about, uh, you know, John Pronich first. I know you and I have uh, worn uh, the the opposite roles, the opposite hats uh, when I've been on your show. And, um, you know, a lot of times you're asking people about them and, you know, what's their background and what's their insight and what's their this and, and what have you. I want to take a, an opportunity to kind of talk to you and, and, and get to uh, to reverse those roles for a change and ask you, you know, about John Pronich, the the person, uh, as well as the host of the 343 podcast, um, what got you connected into the game? What got you loving this game and wanting to be involved in this game uh, in the way that you are? Uh, well, I think uh, I, I have a fairly unique, but also not that unique um situation where I, I had a, a, a father that was from Europe. So having that influence as a young kid, it was like that, that just kind of was naturally what I fell into. Uh, but I also had a, a mom and uh, that was American and then grandparents that were here that were American. And, and so I also got my dose of, of the typical American childhood where, you know, I was encouraged to play baseball, basketball, uh, American football, but soccer obviously was the one that stuck. It was the one that made the most sense for me. It was the one that, you know, I had a, a role model in the house that, uh, that had played at a very high level in, uh, in Europe um, during his youth, youth career. And my dad played, uh, my dad did play. I don't know if it's, if it's a stretch to say professionally or semi-professionally um, at the time, it, it, you know, the way that the countries were set up and then what was going on over there it's just kind of difficult to, to determine what was what, I guess. Um, but yeah, so just, he did play, he did play in Europe. Uh, there was a big influence on me and on my household growing up. And, uh, I, I didn't have, I just didn't have a great experience as far as like coaches go and, and playing. And, and I guess geographically where I was, soccer wasn't really a, a popular thing at the time. So, like the, the other variables didn't uh, didn't play nicely with my with my upbringing, so I was never kind of I never flourished in anything. Not that I would have if, if the other variables were were set up, but um, I I started to notice that you know there were some other there were some big gaps in my area as far as you know where how we're kind of isolated in between Los Angeles and, and San Francisco. Um, how club soccer didn't really exist when I was growing up in this area, uh, some of the other factors as well. And I started to notice all that when I was about 18. And, and one of the first things I noticed is that the quality of coaching in this area just was very, very subpar. And I decided at that time that I wanted to get into coaching. So that was kind of, the, that was the thing that, that ignited my obsession, I guess you could say, with soccer. 
And so that, that coaching bug bit me super, super early. And, and then I just went on this quest to, to find as much information as I could. And, and then, and then that turned into sharing as much information as I could, which turned into a podcast, which has kind of led me today. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a wild last 14, 15 years for me, but that's kind of, kind of how it all came about. And, and I, I do want to get back to your, your other aspect of being in game involved in the game in terms of being a referee, uh, in just a little bit, but, uh, I don't want to leave that out in, in your, in your getting into coaching and looking, you know, at your local area, what about coaching drew you you know, I mean, you could have tried to do other things in the game, maybe start a club, maybe go straight into media or coverage or anything like that. But what about the coaching aspect really drew you at that at that point to go, hey, I want to learn as much as I can. And I would like to, to, to be able to you know impart that knowledge into players uh, from a coaching perspective. Well, uh, two things, two things come to mind. So I remember thinking, and I and and I've been saying this for quite a while that um, I I didn't want any kid to have to go through that same experience that I went through um, as a as a young player, having a coach that you know either is volunteering their you know their precious time. I understand that now, uh, but volunteering their time to to coach their kids, but they don't have any idea about the game or the sport itself which is a terrible environment for, for learning if, you know, if a player wants to take something seriously. So uh, number one, that, that, that really uh, affected me. And then number two, also having people in the game that probably shouldn't be there um, and, and in it for the wrong reasons, meaning, you know, for the money, for the power, for the relationships uh, within the greater, the greater community, political reasons, whatever I, I came to find out here in life that, uh, that was a, a motivation for some people in my local area. So I didn't want though, I didn't want kids to have to go through those experiences. And so that's what really prompted me to, to get into coaching. And then um, over the course of the next 15 years, I realized, um, all right, I, I thought it, it might be better for me to do something like you mentioned, like start a club or get involved as a director or, or, you know, something in that aspect or that regard. And so I, I attempted to do that and I, I, I've attempted to do that multiple times and, and everything that I keep coming back to is that it's, it's very, very difficult for a, a, a message to get spread properly. If you're working with uh, still the wrong people uh, and it's so like the people that are, you know, coach, uh, coaching for the wrong reason, in it for the wrong reason, blah, 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 blah. Some of the stuff I just talked about or people that aren't soccer first people that are then having to take the message that you're, that you're um, saying from the top. And then it's up to them to, to read that to the players and things like that. So I just noticed that that wasn't very effective either. And maybe that could, I, I I'm perfectly fine with taking some of the blame. Maybe I'm not the best communicator or set up for a director type role, but I just kept coming back to the fact that I felt like I was making the biggest impact of working directly with players. And it made more sense for me to work with a group of 20 players than it did for me to work with a group of 20 coaches that might have the reach to 200 players. So uh, it just made more sense for me and it felt better for me to, to uh, it felt more like my place to work with just teams of players. And, and uh, yeah, so that's where I've, I've just continued to try to make my, 
make my mark and, and, and do my work and, and things like that. And then on the flip side of that, uh, I, I do, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I do have a passion or a desire to get more information out to people that really, really do want it. And so that was part of, of starting a podcast and, and putting it out there for people to, to find or seek out that are, that are trying to find or seek out um, additional coaching education. Well, then they can come and find it if they want it, but it's not like I'm, you know, pushing it on people uh, from a, from like a club directive standpoint, something like that. So there was a big difference of, of how I wanted to go about educating or helping to uh, helping to spread education to other people. So I, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but that's kind of where my brain went with that. Totally. And, and one of the things that, that as I was listening to your answer um, that kind of struck me is for for you to want to make an impact on say 20 players. Um, I I would have to imagine, and, and I kn- knowing what I know in terms of three, four, three and the, the philosophy, gen- you know, generally of three, four, three in terms of, you know, possession, et cetera. Um, I would have to imagine that personally for you making an impact on 20 players is guided by a personal playing philosophy, which I'm sure has a lot of overlap with 343 being involved with with that uh, as well. What is, if someone were to sit down with you in an interview in, 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 for a coaching position and say, all right, John, lay out for me, like, what do you what do you hope to, to achieve as a, as a coach and with our players, what kind of philosophy do you want to play by? What are you hoping to, to do in terms of development with players, et cetera? So what is the John Pronich philosophy of, of playing and style uh, when you are wearing your coaching hat? It's an interesting question because I just did like this new facet of, of the podcast that I've been recording for five years. Um, I, I've just started this new facet of it where I'm asking coaches that question exactly. And I'm giving them two minutes to explain their, their coaching philosophy, their, their ideas about coaching, their ideas about soccer or whatever, whatever they feel passionately about. And so, uh, it's funny that you, that you, that you bring that up because just before uh, we started, uh, we started this call, I was actually on the phone recording one of those episodes. Um, but I, I, I try not to get bogged down with all the uh, buzzwords and, and new ideas and, and, and things like that. I try to just keep it as simple as possible. And I try to just say, Hey, like we want to try to keep possession of the ball and we want to try to work to create opportunities that, you know, that we can exploit from, from, uh, or, or that we can exploit and, and that are purposeful, I guess is, is, is a big thing because I feel like too many times in American soccer, it's just random occurrences like, Oh, Hey, so-and-so kicked the ball over here and then so-and-so kicked the ball over there and then it happened to land somewhere over here and then we took a shot and it went in but there was no like ideas or meaning or purpose behind any of it and people say even like possession with a purpose is still kind of stupid to me but um but just making sure that like the kids know that keeping possession of the ball and working for good opportunities and meaningful opportunities and every everything is on purpose uh that that's kind of what what makes sense to me and I, I struggle as a young coach to find um, ways to relay that, that message to players and to, to, to relay um, ideas to, to players that were bouncing around in my head just because I didn't have the, the experience to fall back on. 
Like I didn't have the playing experience of, of playing in a possession-based team or an attacking-based team or a team that did anything really on purpose. It was all just random, just random stuff. Um, I didn't have any of that experience to fall back on. So I was really struggling to, to, to uh, what am I trying to say right here? Like I was really struggling to have my tires catch, I guess, like trying to catch my, I don't know what I'm saying, Daniel, sorry. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, so once once I once I realized that my wheels were kind of just spinning, uh, that's when I started to seek out other information, and that's eventually how I found three four three. And I really I really did uh, gravitate towards their message. And I know people call me like a troll or sorry a shill these days, or they call me um, a parrot or things like that. It's, and it's, I'm okay with that because I truly believe in it, and, and I and I truly believe in in the stuff that I learned from them and 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 what I've continued to learn o- over. Um, and, and how I've watched other programs and, and other things grow and, and, and how I've watched my own teams um, grow and, and be successful with, with those methods. And so it's something that it's easy to believe in when you see it work. Um, but I was able to learn how to take all those ideas that were bouncing around in my head and then give them uh, some sort of like framework and then how to, how to explain that to players, I think was super important. So I'm rambling this like a, like a crazy man right now. Um, a, but yeah, that was, that was kind of it. That's okay, man. So, um, so in terms of how you see the game on a macro level, uh, you know, we, we look at, you know, as we, we talked about at the very, very beginning of this, um, you know, interview in terms of you have the Europa League final today, you have the Champions League final on Saturday. I know you and I share a desire to see – every city, every club in this country have access and opportunity. Um, you know, you grew up in California. Everyone thinks, okay, well, you grew up in California. You had to have, you know, um, all of this access and opportunity, but you grew up in, in, in the kind of central coast area in between LA and San Francisco, not quite the level of access and opportunity many people would assume. Um, and And so when you look at, our system, if you look at it on, on a macro level, what does a- access and opportunity mean to you when you're, when you're looking at a player, when you're looking at a coach, when you're looking at a club, um, you know, define access and opportunity uh, for each, each of those kind of different uh, setups, player, coach, as well as club. I think access and opportunity, it, it, it gives people like a meaning or a purpose to be involved in, you know, the greater, the, the greater scheme of things. And without having that access and without having that opportunity, like what is the meaning of, of, of youth soccer in San Luis Obispo, California, or what is the meaning of youth soccer in, in Santa Maria, California? What, what are we all playing for? What is, what is the purpose of all of this for? And, and so without that access and opportunity, it's like, we're just, yeah, we're, we're, we're just playing fun. And, and it, it really, it really bothers me. Um, especially now that, you know, we have a player like Julian Araujo who is with the USU twenties in Poland for, for the world cup. And Julian two years ago was playing high school soccer here in Lompoc, California, which is like 15 minutes from, from where I live. And, and to think, and this is not, Daniel, this is not a dig on Julian whatsoever. Julian is a phenomenal player and deserves where, where uh, to be where he is. But it is, 
it is a stretch to say that Julian is or has been the best player in this area for, for the last five to 10 years. So like there are other players that are here that are at that level or higher and, and that have, have been for, you know, probably years and years and years, but without the access and the opportunity for, for them to get on, on the stage where uh, a U.S. soccer scout will see them or a DA coach will see them or things like that. Like it, in, in order for them to, to get seen or get noticed, they need like the equivalent of a golden ticket, of like a Willy Wonka style golden ticket. And, and, and the, the opportunity or the, or the chance of, of getting that golden ticket is, I don't know, what, what's the, the, lo, the most recent lotto figure? I don't know. It's probably somewhere close to that, right? Something crazy, so, yeah. Yeah, something crazy. And it's like, so if, if, if that is how we're going to, you know, choose or select our national team players by basically playing uh, the soccer version of the lotto, well, that, that's, you know, w- what's the purpose of, of, of all these kids and, and all these coaches being involved in that type of a system? You know, it would, to me, it would be, it would make much, much, much more sense to have a system like they have uh, all over the rest of the world where, where teams and, and players and coaches and administrators and investors and communities and fans and everybody uh, has a meaning, has a purpose behind everything. And, and, you know, that doesn't matter if you're in the fourth division, a fifth division, a first division, whatever, um, you know, there, there, there's meaning behind everything. There's purpose behind everything. There's, there's opportunity behind every single thing. And who cares if you're at the very, very top? Like, oh yeah. Well, what if you're Barcelona and you're at the top of Barcelona has to re has to reinvest every single year in order to maintain that top spot. So it's not a cakewalk. Um, Manchester United probably the best example. You make a couple mistakes, all of a sudden you miss out on Champions League and you lose money, and all of a sudden you miss out on Europa League and you lose money, and all of a sudden you're no longer in that top four spot, and and, and that is very very impactful. And so, uh, yeah, tangents galore right here, Daniel. Maybe you can kind of reel me in, but uh, that's that's where my brain went with that. I I love it, and I love the fact that you're you're having to uh, to wear that that uh, other hat that you we're always on the other end of it with you, and you're asking the questions, and we get to go and ramble. Yeah. <laughs> now you get to go and ramble, so it's great. Um, yeah, so, it's an exercise for me, man. Right. So when 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 we look at like communities, one of the things I often you know, try to get people to, to, to think of this in the same way as cell phones, like in the late eighties, early nineties, if you got off the interstate or you were not in like a major city, your phone did not work. Like it was just, it wasn't coverage. I mean, you could like, you know, uh, be driving down the road one minute, be able to call anybody from your phone. And the next minute, like you're holding a brick. I mean, it just didn't work anymore until you got back into another zone where there were enough cell phone towers and enough coverage. And if you think of the cell phone towers and that coverage, like a light, um, everywhere that, that there was coverage, it was as if the lights were turned on and wherever there wasn't coverage, it was in the dark. That's what American soccer is like. We're like the late 80s, early 90s in that there are so many communities where the light is not turned on, where access and opportunity is very much like the lottery. I mean, in, 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 in terms of fortune or, you know, building relationships, I know personally I've, 
you know, and, and you've met my wife and kids. I mean, we've traveled all over the place. We've come out to California. We've, you know, we've gone to Atlanta. We, I've taken, you know, my oldest son overseas several times. We'll go back again this summer. I mean, it, it's constantly having to try new things, get exposure to new things, meet new people, you know, so it's 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 not just the fortune lottery piece, but it's also um, a major investment in, in terms of time and resources, money, et cetera, in terms of, you know, getting to to see new people, see new environments, see new teams, uh, get exposure, et cetera. And, you know, to expect that we are are going to find our best players in a system where so many are in that same situation, um, it, it, it is not as if we are trying to make it easy to get exposure. I, I am not one who says that every, every player deserves to be a professional or every player is going to be a great player. I, I mean, that's not at all the, the way I think. But I do think every player should get exposure, should get an opportunity to to be seen and and to be heard and to and to be able to showcase his or her talents in this country and i just don't see how our current system is doing that and how um we have so many places even in a, in, a, in a state like california where there are just swaths of that state there are places all over this country where we're just we're not seeing people and one of the things that is a that I want to get into next with you is byproducts of that. And one of the byproducts I see is that we don't have agents scouring this country looking for talent precisely because there isn't a market for the talent. There's nowhere for you to take the talent to, even if you found them and if you took them there. You can't get paid. I mean, they're pre-negotiated salaries at a lot of these leagues. It, it, very much the players and the agents are at a disadvantage from from the standpoint of negotiations because there isn't competition. What are some some things that you see in that regard, byproducts of a dysfunctional system that's not giving access and opportunity? Uh, well, I want to I want to maybe address that came to mind as you were talking when you gave the example, like all the lights on or whatever, um, uh, across the country, what, I, what competition drives, I guess, is, um, is the opportunity for somebody to come in and, and, and put in a light pole or turn the lights on. Right. So, uh, if, if the people in, in Alabama, you know, want cell phone service, okay. If AT&T isn't going to do it, then Verizon sees an opportunity to go and do it there and they will. And so that that competition between those companies is ultimately what has you know led to the spread of uh, cell phone service or cell phone coverage across the the majority of the United States now, right? Where um, you know uh, if it was just one company that uh, decided you know where or who was going to get cell phone coverage, well then they might determine that there's no value in certain areas. And so I guess uh, one thing that came to mind as you were talking is that is that. Uh, where U.S. soccer or where MLS decides to do business is pretty much where they're where where they value, right? And so, I'm pretty sure still to this day, your state of Alabama does not have a development academy. So that means from the message that I'm seeing being signaled is Major League Soccer or that U.S. soccer does not value 
soccer in Alabama. That's the, that's the message that, that I'm getting from that. Um, they do not value soccer in North and South Dakota or Wyoming or uh, wherever else doesn't have a, a development academy and or a professional professional team for, for that matter. And so when you when you signal that message, right, I think that people become discouraged or people um, uh, going back to like, you know, they don't they don't have the meaning. They don't understand what the meaning of, of what they're supposed to do uh, really is. Uh, it discourages investment in, in the entire system. So I feel like people would be much, much more, much, much, much more willing to invest in Alabama soccer if Alabama had that path to someday grow and flourish into uh, whatever they wanted to become. If they, if, you know, if they had aspirations to be a, a third division team, cool, go ahead and do it. If they had aspira- aspirations to be a first division team, cool, open the roadblock and let them let them try to pursue it. But right now, there's no. There's no reason for somebody in Alabama to invest in those types of opportunities because they don't make sense. It's not valued by the, by the greater American system. Um, you mentioned something else about agents um, not scouring the United States. Uh, and, and what came to mind is that, is that for, uh, I guess, more recent times, agents actually have been scouring everywhere in the United States and, and looking for, for all kinds of opportunities. But they're not American agents. Uh, they're not American scouts. Uh, they're foreign scouts, and, and so they were coming over here, and they were swooping up on everything because of another uh, idiotic policy that the U.S. Soccer and MLS uh, designed for themselves, to, designed to benefit for, uh, themselves, um, and so it was allowing people to come in here and, and not not just do business in the United States, but take business from the United States and bring that business elsewhere. So the you know teams and, and clubs and and, and systems outside the United States were then benefiting from American talent. Uh, Christian Pulisic being probably the most famous American example. Um, there's you know, a laundry list of other players that, that, you can, that you can talk about now, like Weston McKinney, Josh Sargent, Tyler Adams, things like that, right? Where, where people, uh, Tyler Adams told me not, not the best example because he went through Red Bulls, but, um, but like these other, these other talents that have been exported because of the way that the system here was set up. Like, okay, like Josh Sargent, you're not valued in Missouri, uh, because MLS uh, doesn't exist in Missouri, no problem. You can go where, wherever you want in the world, basically, was the message that was uh, being signaled by the policies and whatever. But in, in even more recent times, I think U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer figured that out. And now they've designed policies that make it harder for, uh, for these international scouts to come and scour the United States and, and pluck players away. So it's like the, every, everything is now being re-engineered to, uh, to manipulate the entire system and keep American players here or make it harder for American players to leave, which is absurd. It's like you're telling people, no, I don't value you, but if somebody else values you, then I'm going to value you, and then, then we'll talk. But until somebody else finds you, yeah, no problem. We don't want to talk to you. It's kind of the message that I'm getting, um, and I think quite a, quite a few other people are getting that too with, um, you know, development academies academies making players sign uh, contracts for like 12 year olds and stuff saying hey we own your we own your rights whatever and um and, and other other areas regions uh, being lumped into like an mls is ter- like an mls franchise's territory um so it's like you, you you don't even participate in the development academy system or the a major league academy system but you are somehow your rights are owned by that major league soccer academy 
it's like such it's so backwards like it's, I, I don't even understand how it can be legal but apparently it's legal in the backwards u.s soccer way of doing things so yeah those, those were the things that came to mind yeah and and that part is crazy because um there in, in the fact that there are giant swaths of the country that don't have access to the top some of these same areas the players themselves don't even have an opportunity to seek out an opportunity if they could find one because yep. they may be bound to one specific MLS franchise through no fault Daniel, of their own. Know, without even knowing it. Exactly. They don't even know it, though. That's that's the craziest part is that families, like parents of of little Johnny in, in, in a city that's 200 miles away from an MLS academy, uh, they don't even know that their that their rights are owned by an MLS academy. Like if, a, if another team from Europe came would step in and be like, ah, you know what? We own his rights. Like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, how? Like, how? Like, how is that even possible? So it's, it's so it blows my mind, man. What? What? For me, this comes down to is a worldview. If you have a worldview of of opportunity, may the best club, person, etc., win, then you see what is going on in American soccer and realize that that is not our status quo. That is not what is in place. What is in place is control and, and a lack of uh, merit-based opportunity. And, and, and what you have as a result is, like, if you look at our leagues, for example, they are all, whether they're professionally sanctioned or amateur, they are they are all in some way, shape, form, or fashion influenced by the fact that we have a system of disconnected closed leagues. And so because they're closed, there are rules in place that, you know, are set up that basically creates a, a war of leagues. Um, and there is not a single national league, whether that's MLS, USL uh, Championship, USL League One, USL League Two, NPSL, UPSL, you, you look at that whole, you know, array of of national leagues, none of them are set up for an open system and therefore have things about the way they do what they do that wouldn't work and the in, in an open system and it's a byproduct it is another byproduct of the dysfunction that US soccer has created and when people look at the mess and they and they look at what's going on and why has it been going on and what and all these different aspects, the thing I come back to is the fix for all of it is FIFA compliance. If we just follow the rules that every other country around the world is supposed to follow, a lot of this gets sorted out as a result of the fact that we're we're trying to be FIFA compliant. Um, you know, U.S. Soccer says about itself. We want to make soccer the preeminent sport in America. I want to see U.S. soccer say we want to be the biggest, baddest country of them all in soccer. I, we want to be the best. We don't just want to be preeminent. We want to we want to rule the world, because if 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 you think that way, then you're trying to figure out ways to make soccer accessible. You're trying to make it as big as you can. You're trying to reach every person that you can in every city that you can. And and it it is a it is a growth min, uh, mindset a growth mentality to 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 look at 
you know, where you are and go, hey, look, we're not going to settle. We want to get better. We want to get bigger. We want to do more. We do want to reach more. Here's what we're going to do. Boom, 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 boom. Instead, what we get are platitudes and we come across, you know, the craziness of some of these rules that that are in place. And quite frankly, I think the Federation should be ashamed of themselves for allowing some of these things to go on where you have leagues that have territorial rights to families who never agreed to 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 sign off on territorial rights like no one no one showed up in jackson mississippi and negotiated with all the families hey you're going to belong to x but you wake up the next morning and oh by the way you belong to this mls franchise or you belong to that mls franchise so it's all of these things that have gone on and, and have taken place are to me a direct byproduct and result of the dysfunction in our system and is something that that i don't think people realize the weirdness of our system and the awkwardness of the rules and in some cases the outright um you know dysfunction of the of the whole kind of mess is is directly attributable to the fact that our system isn't fifa compliant and it's such a big thing um and it has when we when we're out of whack it it affects our rules it affects players it affects opportunities of clubs etc so I want to I want to close with this with you and and get your thoughts on um, on on this kind of question and it's something you kind of uh, asked me whenever um, I was on your show last and it's uh, it's uh, inspired a, a similar type of question I've been asking a lot of my guests and I want to ask you this if you were king of American soccer for a day you could do anything with your day in charge what would you John Pronich do. Sorry, you kind of cut out there uh, for a second. I couldn't, couldn't hear the full question. Okay, so what I was, what I said is that if you were king of American soccer for a day, and you could do anything with your day in charge, what would you do? King of American soccer for a day, what would I do? Um, man, that's an interesting question. I guess for, first I should say I, I wouldn't want to be king. Um, I, I, I don't believe that any one person should have that much control over over an entire uh, uh, <laughs> an entire system, so maybe maybe change that I mean, it would be one thing I would want to do, um, just to kind of balance out power. But um, I I would want to I would want to inspire hope in people to 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 be part of a of a system and, and to and to pursue whatever they considered to be greatness or whatever was going to make them happy by giving them opportunities. I, I think that I, I would change whatever I needed to change in order to to give access and opportunity to as many people as possible. And, and uh, I think that that's a, that's a, a big part of, of competition and, and, you know, pers- personal competition is, you know, if, if I want to get better, I should also, I, I should also want other people to get better. So that way that, that forces me to continue to, to be better. But if, if I, if I rig the rules so that, you know, other people can't, can't continuously pursue, um, you know, uh, the, the next level, then, then that's ultimately going to make me plateau. 
and and I, I shouldn't want that. So I guess, you know, if I if I want to get better, I should want other people to get better and I should want them to have the same opportunities as me. And, and so I would I would try to do whatever I could to to install that into uh, into that <laughs> U.S. soccer kingdom. It seems weird. I don't like talk, thinking about it or thinking about myself as a king because that would be the worst position for me to be in. But, um, yeah, that's what came to mind. I, I share your democratic principles uh, completely. I, I just uh, knowing where we are, uh, it, it's hard for people to wrap their minds around uh, getting some changes done without absolute power. So it's it's really more of a mental exercise just for the audience. It's not I am not at all advocating uh, that we create a, a soccer monarchy in American soccer that would uh, be very, very <laughs> bad. Um, but it's more. Well, that's kind of what we have right now, actually. It, it so is very much stuff. very. Yeah. If it's not quite a monarchy, it's very much a fiefdom. And you you have to know the right people. And there are so many gatekeepers. You know, you, you, we, we saw it over the last few days with the Soccer Hall of Fame. We you, we see it with U.S. soccer elections. It. It's very much a situation um, that plays out even into like the athlete council of people. And I look, I'll I'll be the first to admit this going into the U.S. soccer election. I just knew like internally myself, I just believed that the athlete council was going to was going to vote for soccer, was going to vote for soccer people. They were going to vote for people that that knew about the game and and wanted to to make soccer grow to a level that could compete with Europe. And so I that was my, you know, presupposition coming into, you know, Winalda's campaign. And in getting into um, you know, getting into that whole campaign and that election and all of that 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 took place it was such a disappointing thing when we get to the end and find out that the athlete council and it's continued. I saw it again this year at the 2019 U.S. Soccer AGM. The athlete council is is working hand in hand with Don Garber and the federation, kind of just rubber stamping everything that comes through. Um, and they are they are not this body that's bringing any level of accountability to the federation or partnering with the state associations and others in the grassroots to actually grow the game. And, you know, so when, when I talk to people about, Hey, be King for a day or queen for a day. And, and, and what would you do? A lot of it is just trying to, to get people to wrap their heads around what's possible if they weren't constrained. Um, so it's, it's really just a thought exercise. So I, I certainly, I just want to be on the record because, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's crazy social media. Somebody would be like, Hey, I listen to your show. And now, now Daniel's claiming that he wants a dictatorship in American soccer. I'm like, no, I never <laughs> said it. it's just a thought exercise. Um, and, and I love the answers that I get from that thought exercise because they, they are varied. Um, there's, there's a general theme that, that is, played through which is opportunity and access you know promotion relegation a lot of those are, are talked about but there's some other things that have been really good that i've that i've heard from people talking about just different you know aspects of uh, the game and developing the game and um growing the game etc that 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 i've enjoyed hearing from them so it, it's been it's been good and it, it it's been enjoyable to to hear those things and and to have you on the show today has been great um, re returning the favor for for you 
having me on your show and uh and 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 really do in, enjoy um listening to your your podcast if people want to learn more about 343 and the 343 podcast and john pronich how can they find that information out uh 343coaching.com it's the 34 and 3 and then coaching all spelled out.com is the best place to go to, to to learn all about us we offer um a premium coaching education program it's something that i've gone through personally it changed the way that i that i get that i coach my teams um you can if you wanted to you can go and find videos of of my teams and how they played um or how they they continue to play but just by searching my name in, in youtube or on google or whatever some videos will pop up um the, the podcast it's available on every major podcasting platform that i can think of off the top of my head spotify google play apple uh podcasts where, wherever um so you can find that there it's super super interesting conversations it started out as just a coaching podcast of talking to other youth soccer coaches and then out of nowhere it became this monster of a of a of a thing where you know all of a sudden we're covering topics very similar to what we talked about today like promotion relegation and and equal opportunity you know the the um it took me embarrassingly quite a while to get my first female guest on the show but since then um, we've had some some amazing conversations about the problems in in um, women's soccer in America, um, and you know professional coaches, professional players, club owners, th- those types of people are are coming on the show, and it's turned into something much 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 more than just coaching. But like I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, getting back to the to those uh, initial roots where we're having coaches come on and just talk about coaching topics for like ten or fifteen minutes at a time. Those are short episodes, so. Uh, expect more of those in the future if, if that's what uh, if that's what you're seeking out. Yep, that's uh, that's about it. So just yeah, three four three coaching dot com. You can follow Gary on Twitter at three four three. You can follow me on Twitter at that Croatian guy. That, those are those are pretty much the main places that you can go to to find everything we're doing. And finally, as you leave, give us your your thoughts on being a referee. I saved this for last. <laughs> Uh, because this is kind of one of your more more, more recent forays into soccer. What, what is it like wearing the referee shirt? Uh, well, little known fact, actually, um, I, I've been refereeing for almost 20 years. So I started when I was 12, um, and I've kind of gone in and out of it uh, over the course of 20 years where I've gone through spurts where I, I'm taking it very serious, spurts where I'm not. Um, the, I think the longest stretch, just one calendar year without without refereeing a game which was uh which was kind of weird uh, but now I, I'm, I'm back on a track where I'm, I'm going to try to push myself and see just how far I can get with refereeing which has been really fun and and uh I, I think what people need to know about about referees is that when you get when you get to a certain you know level of uh of playing the game um you are coaching or whatever, whatever level your teams are playing at. When you get to a certain level, the work that it requires a referee to get to that level is is pretty significant as well. So the 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 work referees are doing off the field, like the additional training that we have to do uh, once per month, um, twice per month actually here where, where I live, and and the recertifications and things like that. It's pretty it's pretty extensive, and when you compare it to coaching referees are putting in a lot, a lot, a lot more work when it comes to like getting the education and, and recertified and being up on the latest, uh, latest happenings. 
like you can go get a D license and you can sit on that for 10, 15 years. You don't have to do much, but you can coach as much as you want. Uh, but refereeing, you, I mean, it, it, it requires a lot of work and to climb the ladder in refereeing requires, requires a ton of work, physical tests, uh, traveling to, to be evaluated, assessed and feedback and things like that. And, and if you take those, those ideas and applied those to coaching where coaches were uh, assessed on their performances or, um, you know, evaluated at their practice sessions and things like that, it would, it would do a, a wonders for the coaching world. Um, but, but yeah, I just, I kind of just wanted to give a shout out to like every referee that's doing it because a lot of people don't see the work that goes into it. They just see the work that, that, you know, takes place on Saturdays and Sundays. And, and people think that, you know, that's their, that's their time to fire shots at referees when, when, when we're out there working and trying to do our thing, but uh, yeah, nobody, nobody understands the work behind the scenes unless, unless you're doing it. So yeah, just, uh, just kind of praise for, for my fellow brothers and sisters that are, that are taking that referee path. Cause it's not easy. Well, thanks for coming on the show, John. And thanks for sharing your thoughts there at the end on referees. Uh, you, you guys have probably the hardest job in all of sports. <laughs> Uh, especially if you deal with any youth soccer parents. So uh, kudos to you and, and all the referees out there uh, doing your best to, uh, to, to regulate the game and, and make sure everything is, is handled properly on the field. So thanks for joining the show. I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your thoughts uh, about the game uh, personally and in terms of the coaching and the refereeing, the whole aspect, but also on a macro level too uh, as well. So uh, thanks for joining the show. We look forward to having you on again soon. Absolutely, man. No problem. Thanks. That was John Pronich of the 343 Podcast. Um, he, uh, he was, he's been so gracious to have me on the show, his show before, and um, wanted to, uh, to return that favor. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he shared his thoughts in terms of, like, coaching development and, and seeking out education, challenging yourself, things like that. And I, I think if we all kind of took that – same tact in terms of the game the game in this country would improve and um so you know follow him uh, check in with him and um i'm sure he would love to interact with you as well so thanks for tuning into the show thanks for watching the show um and uh we'll, we'll see what happens today in this europa league final um but uh whatever the case it looks like it's going to be hazard's last game with chelsea so for all you chelsea fans Enjoy the day because this is it for you, it looks like. So anyway, we'll see everybody tomorrow. Goodbye.